Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Rob Broadhead is the CEO of 2020 Fire Protection, a graduate of the Institute of Fire Engineers and a member of FPA Australia's New South Wales Coordinating Committee. Rob has been in the fire protection industry since 1992, has contributed to Australian standards and helped draft fire protection training for Strata Communities Australia. Rob is passionate about improving general knowledge around fire safety, so building occupants and owners can make good decisions about fire protection before the worst occurs. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Rob Broadhead of 2020 Fire. Welcome, Rob. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, It's a great opportunity. Um, I'm very new to podcasts, so uh, I might be (laughs) slightly nervous here. uh, uh, Veronica Morgan, a a, a mutual friend, introduced me to the concept of podcasts, and uh, yours was the first that I actually listened to, uh, episode 196 with Tim Sara. So Ah. really really interesting, and uh, I've gone on to listen to a few others while I've been driving, so thank you. Excellent. Well, I feel very privileged that mine is the first podcast that you've listened to and indeed very privileged that we have you with us today because I have been saying for a long time now, I need a fire guy. Someone get me a fire guy. I need to understand what this is all about so that we can enlighten our listeners. I get questions all the time about what our buildings should be doing when it comes to fire protection, who is qualified to help our buildings, and it's all a little bit of a mystery to me, let me say. So I'm hoping you can demystify some of that for us today. I'll certainly try to. I mean, it's um, you know really good timing to be asking these questions because for the uh, almost 20 years, it's been a mystery to all of us too, mm-hmm. being that... Um, we're now talking about competent fire safety practitioners in, in New South Wales, mm-hmm. but I think it's really important to go into a bit of detail and a bit of background as to how New South Wales got into the position that we're in here, where who the hell is a competent fire safety practitioner? Yeah, tell us. Go for it. From about 2000 till about December 2017, uh, the owners of Strata buildings were legislated to look for a properly qualified person. Mm-hmm. That was what the legislation said and uh, sounded like a great thing, right? Um, and these are the people to a properly qualified person to service their fire system and to possibly sign off their annual fire safety statement. Mm -hmm. While it's a great idea, there was never really any legislated definition for what a properly qualified person was. And this was further compounded by the fact that there was actually no qualifications really available to get. Yes. So uh, in the early 90s, I suppose, I I did a, a fire technology course, which led you towards being able to get uh, the Graduate of Institute of Fire Engineers qualification. However, since uh, you know about 2000, there's been nothing really out there for you to have. And so as a result, the owners haven't really known who a properly qualified person actually is. And now let me just stop you there. This is the person who is coming in to inspect all the fire safety bits and pieces in a building, extinguishers, smoke alarms, exits, signs, lights, hydrants, so that they can go tick, 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 you've got all this stuff, it's all working and you get your annual fire safety statement or your fire safety certificate that the council wants you to lodge. Exactly right, Amanda. Exactly right. Okay. Go for it. Uh, And so... um 
in December 2017, uh, the legislation changed. So this is the Environmental Planning and Assessment Regulation 2000, if you really want the boring Yes, this lawyer does want the boringness, yes. Great. Um, <laughs> and uh, they they changed the, the, the person from being a properly qualified person to a competent fire safety practitioner, mm-hmm. which sounds awesome, doesn't it? The challenge with this, of course, is that there was also still no real definition of what a competent fire safety practitioner was. It was deemed as a person that deemed qualified by the uh, building owner. <laughs> okay, so again, <laughs> we haven't we got very far. Said, yeah, we still haven't got very far. So still the building owners are still going, who is a competent fire safety practitioner and how do I determine that? The good thing, the great thing that happened in that December 2017 change legislation is that they legislated there would be a pathway to be defined in the future as to how these people uh, became a competent fire safety practitioner. Mm-hmm. So huge step. Uh, so um, you know, probably back to you, they've defined a competent fire safety practitioner as someone needs to be there deemed by the owner mm-hmm. and they've said there will be a pathway for this to happen. So Okay. And nothing much has happened since then, is that right? Uh, in fact, a lot has happened oh, since okay. then, uh, which has been really great. And, mm-hmm. and I think um, all of the challenges we've seen with the, the cladding fires, with the Grenfells, with the Neo 200s, things like that, has really brought to the fore the importance of this. There's still no exact definition. However, as of April this year, the, the government wrote a letter to uh, some organisations saying which ones they would accept. So um, at the moment, there is a register on um, the Interim Fire Safety Register, mm-hmm. and that is being run by FPA Australia, so the Fire Protection Association of Australia. Mm-hmm. And building owners and people in strata really should be looking on that list to see who's on the list, because that is the starting point for it, for this, uh, for this pathway we're talking of. Okay, this is a register that professionals apply to the government to be on, do they? In terms of the pathway we speak of, so what the government has said they'll do is, this is, goes into, into probably more lawyer speak than anything, mm-hmm. they're going to put in place a co-regulatory framework that relies on the expertise of industry associations to accredit individuals as competent fire safety practitioners. So okay. there's a lot, of, a lot of words there really. But essentially, they've said, we're going to subcontract the accreditation to an industry body mm-hmm. who has the ability to accredit these people. Okay. And so when they put this in place, when, when the gov- New South Wales government put this in place, they had applications from about nine associations mm-hmm. in this sort of space applying to be the co-regulator. Right. And uh, thanks to some really hard work on part of FPA Australia, so the Fire Protection Association, they put in the winning bid effectively. They put in the winning outcome. And so the New South government wrote, the Fire Protection Association Australia's accreditation scheme has been approved by the Secretary. It will become operational after an order has been published in the New South Wales Government Gazette, which is expected January 2020. Okay. All right. So as a result, in the coming six months or so, we are going to have something that the owners of strata buildings and people in strata can rely on as a framework for how you pick your competent fire safety practitioner. Okay. So it's sounding like it's going to be the Fire Protection Association of Australia is going to be the body that accredits competent fire safety practitioners. That's correct. All right. Excellent. So we will be able to go to them. They will have a list of competent fire safety practitioners. Between now and then, there is this other register, which is a New South Wales government register. It's effectively the same register as it it will be in the future. It's just called the interim one because until the government physically legislates it in the Gazette, it's only interim, but they have the letter saying it will be the register. 
Perfect. So for now we have this interim register and I'll have that link in the show notes. And do you believe, agree, Rob, that the people on that register are in the zone of competent fire safety practitioners? Is this a legit interim register? It is absolutely a legit interim register. Uh, <laughs> but uh, due to the fact that the industry has only found out, you know, mere months ago that their scheme, their concept of a scheme, so it wasn't a built scheme, it was a concept for the scheme has been accepted. Uh-huh. At the moment, people are, uh, have applied to be on it. Right. They've said that they are competent. They've said they will commit to the training, to the exams, to the CPD, to the all of the things required for accreditation. They've said they will be properly insured for these things to give the advice. So whether that be professional indemnity insurance to a certain level for at least 10 years. So we've, we've, the people who are on that list have said they are committed to doing that. And by the time that scheme is in place in January or thereabouts 2020, the people on there will have been through a number of exams and a number of assessments to make sure that they actually are competent to be on that list. Mm. Now, look, aside from perhaps the obvious reasons, your building might burn down, people might die, get injured. Why do you think this is so important that we have this mechanism for measuring and recording the competence of these people, particularly in the strata sector? I think it's incredibly important because for, for you, uh, you're a, a lawyer, correct? Mm-hmm. And you went through a university course, one would imagine. You went through a lot of exams. You probably had to uh, do some practical at a law firm to get some experience. You went through a whole lot of steps to get to that stage and to be qualified as a lawyer. In fire protection, what we do is you walk off the street, you're breathing, you're a fire protection expert. Mm. And I'm not saying that's my personal belief, but certainly there's nothing to stop people doing that. And if we look at the sheer number of building defects we're hearing about in the media at the moment, I think it would be, it wouldn't be uh, incorrect to say that the lack of qualifications, the lack of experience, the lack of examinations probably has led to this situation we're in where, where who knows whether you're getting competent people. Yeah. So I think this is, this is a, a big step towards making sure that the people you're employing in fire protection are professionals Yeah. And I do have buildings who come to me very frustrated because they have, for example, for many years had their building inspected each year for the annual fire safety statement. There have been the fire safety devices all get signed off and then they might have either employ somebody different the next year or it can in some cases be the same company coming back that then says, oh, you need new fire doors. And the building quite reasonably, in my opinion, is saying, well, hang on a sec, haven't these fire doors been signed off every year for the last 10 years? Why is it now that you're telling me something different to what the other guys were telling me or you've suddenly changed your mind about the fire doors? And that's when these questions about who are these people, what are their qualifications, do I have the right person for the job here, do I believe this person, all start to come into play. Have you seen that happen before? Is that something that you're familiar with? Why does that happen? It happens all of the time, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> it happens all of the time. I cannot tell you how many buildings we come across where you find that. And, and it really shouldn't happen because while there's been no regulation or accreditation of the people involved in it, we're all just working to an Australian standard or to a building code. And if the people who were doing your fire safety assessment read the standard applicable to that building, Uh the answer should be the same every single year. 
okay. in barring, you know, aside from maintenance, obviously, and things that break, uh, the fire doors, if they're compliant one year, should be compliant the next year, other than where someone's kicked it in or it's fallen off the hinges or something like that. And do you say that those standards are clear? I know we've had in our recent discussions in the industry about building defects, of course, and looking at the reports of people like Dr. Nicole Johnston, who was on the podcast recently, there is often confusion between standards to the extent that they become nonsensical when you try to read them. Do you have this clarity, do you believe, around the standards and the guidelines that should be applied or are they as confusing as some of our building standards are? They're complex to read, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's very few things that are not clear in them. Okay. So every building has an annual fire safety statement. Every annual fire safety statement has a list of building codes and Australian standards on there. That's what we should be applying to that building and what those standards and building codes say are pretty clear. There should be very few variances between how we read them. I think the problem is, is that people are not reading the standards. Mm. And it's very, it's a very hard thing to do. And, and it's also a very expensive thing to do because uh, in fire protection, we have about 120 or more Australian standards just applicable to fire protection. Mm-hmm. Add the building codes to that, add the environmental planning and assessment regulation to that and a few other laws. And particularly with the standards, every building only has to comply with the standard in place when it was built. And so there might be uh, eight to 20 different editions of that same standard. So for sprinklers, for example, there's standards ranging from 1929 through to 2019. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's probably 15 or 20 of those. And you need to have an understanding of them, have an understanding of where to find it, and know how to read them. And, you know, part of all of this accreditation scheme is learning how to read the building codes. And so I think that's really important. But in addition to that, I think one of the really hard things is that the Australian standards are incredibly expensive. And so I think uh, AS, an Australian standard 1670.1, which is for smoke detection systems, I can't remember the exact price, but it was in the two to $300 mark yeah. for that. And so it's kind of trying to, uh, it's almost motivating the wrong behaviour. It's it's almost saying, don't buy me, mm-hmm. just put it in and hope for the best with this rather than read what the code says. And so that, again, is how we also have come to this, the challenges we, we find with building defects. Yeah, the standards are inaccessible almost. Correct. And, yep. and some of the older ones are literally inaccessible. Mm. You know, you have to pay someone to go and get them out of the archives and make copies and, and pay for the right to use that and then uh, then distribute it. So it's, it's challenging. What are the most common problems, Rob, that you've noticed strata buildings have when it comes to fire safety issues? You're going in looking at these buildings, issuing the annual fire safety statements. What are the common things that keep coming up again and again and how do you fix those? I guess uh, first I'd probably like to cut that into two different streams. The first one is if you're talking about a brand new building, just hundreds and hundreds of issues with cladding, as we'll talk about later, is probably one of the uh, you know the tip of the iceberg of this whole thing. And I'm not going to go in new buildings, so I don't really touch them too much. But if you are moving into a new building, no matter how shiny and beautiful your building happens to be, get someone independent to look at it, both fire, building, everything, mechanical air handling, the rest, mm. or you get past that two-year defect liability period because no matter how shiny and beautiful it is, there will be defects. Mm. You don't want to go past that two years and not have sold them. 
And in my experience, the fire safety defects are often the most difficult because they're underlying. It's a problem inside of a wall sometimes. They're not visible until other work starts to be done, other rectification is going on. And when they're identified that certain things are missing, it often means ripping out every ceiling and every lot. And that is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. It's just devastating. It is. And so for those, for anyone buying a new building, get someone independent to look at it immediately or at least within a year of when you've moved in so that you well and truly have everything nailed mm. before the two years. Yep. Um, and also there are no new buildings without defects. <laughs> I agree. So please just check them. Uh, the second perspective, which is more uh, my area of specialty, which is maintaining of existing buildings, I think the main things that you see when you when you walk in there is the the annual fire safety statement schedule being incorrect. Okay. Uh, so many of them are are not correct when you walk in. So so uh, we we saw one a few weeks ago in Auburn where it had a smoke detection and occupant warning system, but they had signed it off to being an, an emergency warning system, and so it's a completely different standard, a completely different area of compliance, and therefore it's been signed off for years to the wrong code because no one's really gone and read what the standards say about it. Wow. But um, I think in terms of what issues we, we see in Strata, the main ones really are that Strata, people living in Strata also need to understand that things do actually go wrong in their building and they've got a long-term investment in this building. It's important that their fire protection, like any other building system, is maintained so it lasts for the, for the whole length of the building. And so we need to understand that things do go wrong. So say uh, exit emergency lights, you know, until the advent recently of, of LED globes, you were getting about 5% failure rate every year. So if you've got 100 emergency lights, you've got about five of them failing every year throughout the building. And so, you know, same with your smoke detectors, smoke alarms, they have a 10-year lifespan before they need to be replaced. Your extinguishers need to be pressure tested every five years. Your uh, fire pump sprinklers, hydrants, valves need to be overhauled every five years. And I think as a result of some of the lack of trust in the fire industry caused probably by the lack of accreditation, the lack of professionalism that we have seen out there. And I think Rena touched on this a little bit in, in a previous um, podcast of yours. The contract type duration for most fire things now is you know, somewhere in the one to two year mark. Mm-hmm. Yet you're talking about something that we need to keep running for the same length as the building, which could be 30, 40, 100 years. And maybe those systems won't last for 100 years, but nevertheless, they need to last for the length of time they should last for. But with a short-term contract outlook on these things, no one's really looking at how they will be kept reliable for the long term. Mm-hmm. And so I think as part of this, this change to accreditation and the professionalism of the fire industry, hopefully the trust can be rebuilt in the fire protection industry. And hopefully your, your fire contract can move to be more of your trusted advisor that you're sitting down and talking to them about the long-term plans of the building, the, the long-term budgeting, mm. and making sure that all of these things are taken into consideration. That's, I think, probably the key thing for us to work on. Yeah, interesting point. Do you work with buildings who have that long-term relationship with you and you notice the difference when it comes to their attitude towards and outcomes for their maintenance? Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt, because there's so few surprises. So no one wants to hear that they have to spend X amount per year on their fire protection. But if we've, we've all talked about it well in advance, we all understand why 
It's yeah. important. And we can understand why the code requires it, why it will improve the longevity of the building, why it will protect the person's investment as well as protecting them if the worst happens. There's so many fewer surprises down the track in one year, in five years, and mm. that sort of thing. So, I think it certainly comes down to being able to trust that person who you've engaged to do that job. If that trust is there, then absolutely you want them there on a long-term basis. They know your building. They know what you've got in place. And you're not going to have those problems of someone new coming in, not reading the documents correctly, not reading the standards correctly, applying the wrong standard. I mean, that's just terrifying that someone can't tell the difference. Someone who is supposed to be an expert in this area can't tell the difference between one system and another and is applying the wrong standard. It's, it is absolutely scary. It, uh, it bothers me greatly. And, and this, this whole accreditation scheme, by the way, has been something that the industry association has been working on for 20 or more years. Mm. And it's really taken the, the Grenfells, the, the Lacrosses, the Neo 200 fires in, in Melbourne to actually get the government interested in doing something about doing it in, in accrediting or allowing accreditation of, of the industry. Mm. Do you know why it was just off the agenda for so long? I don't know exactly. I think it's just they haven't had the appetite to <laughs> legislate it because it's one more thing they need to do. And, and the government overall has been trying to, I guess, absolve themselves or, or privatise so many things. Mm. I think this is they're hoping that market uh, conditions will fix this, but it clearly has not. Yeah. Well, again, it's good to hear that there is change on the horizon and I'll be interested to see how that all plays out in January. You've mentioned cladding there, Rob. Do you want to give us the need-to-know snapshot on cladding, if you can? Uh, well, it's, firstly, it's not my area of expertise. And secondly, it's, it's outside of the building. So it's not actually a component within the building. From a fire protection perspective, the key thing here is building owners who know they do have cladding, they really need to make sure their fire protection systems are working because it effectively bypasses so many of the safety backstops, if you will, of building construction. Uh, so your active fire protection systems become infinitely more important. It's, uh, you know, for the listeners, it's, it's worth, you know, looking up YouTube to see uh, pictures of the Neo 200 fire. And there's going to be a report coming out in Melbourne soon about that. And it's really, really concerning and interesting how it, it brings into question the whole design concept of a building because it bypasses everything that, that the building was supposed to do from a safety perspective. So, uh, yeah, look, look out for that. Yep. All right. Rob, do you have a book for me? I do. The book that's had the greatest impact on you. Uh, I, I read a fair few of them, but um, probably the most, the latest one that I've enjoyed and had the most impact from was um, Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of uh, Not Giving a... <laughs> yes, a you-know-what. Yes, a you-know-what, exactly. Um, yeah, it, I, th- I thought it was amazing. I don't know if you've read it. Um, aside I have, from yes. Really well written and enjoyable to read, which rarely books of that sort of nature are. <laughs> um, you know, it really inspired you to, to look at your own life and, and at the people around you and realize that the constant pursuit of positivity will only cause you to not enjoy life as much. You've got to see it from both sides. You've got to see it from your perspective, from my perspective, mm-hmm. and uh, you, know, you know, welcome the, some negative things because that just makes the positive things better. That's it. And that's life. I, um, I've spoken to a number of people who have enjoyed that book and I have that one on my shelf and everybody has their different takeaways, which just shows you the, the texture that's in that book, uh, along with its very colourful title. Very, very colourful. <laughs> 
Uh, but it, I think it just makes it uh, approachable and more like the uh, language we hear on the on the street, particularly <laughs> that I being that we hire tradespeople, so we hear it a lot. That you might hear, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh no, we would never speak like that in lawyers' offices. Of not at all. Not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now Rob, let us know how our listeners can find out more about you, and if there's anything you'd like to add before we wrap up, go ahead. Uh, firstly, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on our website. 2025protection.com.au or send me an email and I'm sure you'll have the link there. The key message really is fire protection is really important. Uh, it's really important to you, your families, the occupants of your building, and you won't know it until the worst has happened. I highly recommend anyone who has concerns about whether fire protection is worthwhile, look up on YouTube, flash over videos. It's really scary. It's three minutes from ignition to a whole room being engulfed in flame. It makes fire protection really important. But, you know, forgetting every other bit of fire protection, make sure you have a working smoke alarm in your house. That is the most important thing. Yeah. So thank you. Excellent. And thank you for sharing all of that good news, I think it is, Rob, about what our uh, our legislation is doing, our government is doing, uh, you guys doing your good work on the ground to make changes and these improvements that we need so that our buildings know who to go to and know that these people are properly qualified to be doing the work that they're engaged to do. And hopefully we'll see that really positive flow-on effect of that from January next year. Thanks for making the time, Rob. Thank you, Amanda. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. See ya. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?